This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and good evening. In tonight's first show, Archie at Duffy's Tavern wants to scare away prospective buyers for the tavern. And to whom does he turn to ramp up that scary factor? Hmm? None other than Boris Karloff. His name is actually William Henry Pratt. He's widely known for his roles in horror films, particularly for his portrayal of Frankenstein's monster in Frankenstein, 1931, and several sequels, too. His best-known non-horror role is as the Grinch, as well as the narrator in the animated television special of Dr. Zeus's How the Grinch Stole Christmas, shot in 1966. And there is a Canada connection, too. In 1909, he left university without graduating and drifted, departing for England, or for Canada, rather, from England, where he worked as a farm laborer and did various odd itinerant jobs until happening into acting. He was bow-legged and had a lisp and stuttered as a boy. He conquered his stutter, but not his lisp, which was noticeable all through his following career. Well, let's see how he makes out in tonight's episode of Duffy's Tavern. Duffy's Tavern, where the elite meets eat, Archie the man just speaking. Duffy ain't here. Oh, hello, Duffy. How's business? Nil. Huh? It's a Latin word. Uh, N-I-L means, uh, naturally, it's lousy. <laughs> huh? That confirms what? You're gonna sell a tavern. But, Duffy, you can't. This place is an institution. Yeah, a landmark. For years, people have said... Meet me in front of Duffy's Tavern, and uh, we'll go someplace for dinner. <laughs> huh? It's too late. The real estate guy is already on his way down. But Duffy, Duffy, if you sell the place, where can I go? I can... Oh, yeah? <laughs> hey, Fats. Yes, sir. Fats, I feel sick. The real estate guy is on his way down here, and Duffy's selling the tavern. You mean we liberated you don't seem to realize, Fats Duffy's selling a tavern A thing like that could force us back to work Maybe the new owner will give us a job here Oh, but it wouldn't be the same, Fats The new owner might turn it into one of them fancy cocktail lounges With a lot of modern production methods Imagine me, Archie, a master bartender Turned into an end man on a martini line. <laughs> Duffy's Tavern being sold. Mother Tavern. A refuge from the workaday world. I can't quite conceive it. 
We're sure gonna miss the laughs around here, Fats. Yep. A lot of laughs. Yeah. Remember when Duffy gave you your first paycheck? Yep. A lot of laughs. <laughs> and a lot of tragedy, too. Remember the time we had the big three-alarm fire next door when Chin Lee's laundry burned into the ground and a fireman made a mistake and came in here instead? Remember how them firemen loved the tavern, Fats? They just didn't want to leave. No, sir. They just sat there sipping their beers and complaining about the heat. <laughs> yes, sir, I can't bear the thought of leaving this joint. I, I wonder how we could discourage this real estate guy from buying it when he gets here. Uh, why don't you take him in the, and show him the kitchen? <laughs> yeah, think that might do it? When he hears them little feet tramping around... <laughs> He's going to think it's the march of time. Now, just a second, Fats. A lot of fine people have vet the food in that kitchen. Deems Taylor, Lawrence Melchior, Bella Lugosi. <laughs> Boris Karloff. Wait a minute. Boris, tell up. That gives me an idea. Boris is a friend of mine. Maybe I could get him to come down here and make this real estate guy think the place is haunted. Haunted? <laughs> what self-respecting ghost would live here? Look, don't be funny. Give me that phone till I call Carla. Hello? Hotel Plasma? Uh <laughs> I mean, Plaza. Uh, Boris Karloff, please. Yes, uh, room number 13. <laughs> Hello, Boris. This is Archie. Archie from Duffy's Tavern. Uh, remember? Neck 15 and a half, blood type O. <laughs> yeah, uh, look, Boris, I want you to come down to the tavern right away. You're too busy. But, Boris, I have a very grave problem. You'll be right down, huh? <laughs> okay, thanks, kid. Ah, gee, it's nice of Boris to do this for me. I guess the guy really loves me, huh? Well, most of his friends are bat. Uh, hello, what? Oh, hi, Finnegan. Uh, Finnegan, did you ever see Boris call up in pictures? Oh, yeah, I like him. He's very good. Yeah. So natural. At least to my way of thinking. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I saw him in a picture the other night, a double feature. And his picture was much better than the other one. Was, huh? Uh, uh, what was the name of the other one? Uh, the other one was called, uh, oh, uh, the, uh, Pate something or other. Uh, <laughs> oh, uh, tell me, how did you like it? Well, it was hard to follow the plot. <laughs> The plot? Yeah, yeah. It started with a rooster crowing. And then, all of a sudden, our hero comes out, and then the first thing he does is win the Irish sweepstakes. <laughs> yeah. Then in the next scene, he's up in San Francisco signing a peace treaty. This is the hero? Yeah, yeah, but you wouldn't know him. He's dressed up in a silk hat disguised as a Jap. <laughs> 
Besides, how did he like San Francisco? Uh, not much, George. How do you know? Well, in the next scene, him and his girlfriend is riding the surfboards in Florida. <laughs> Huh? Was he any good at this surfboard riding? Oh, it sure was, George. And President Truman must have thought so, too, because in the next scene, the president gives the guy a medal. <laughs> this is still the same hero. Oh, yeah, it's the same hero, only now he's in an army uniform. <laughs> this is where the plot got confused. <laughs> In what respect? Well, in the next scene, the hero's girlfriend also gets a medal. For what? For winning a beauty contest in Atlantic City. (laughs) Was the hero in Atlantic City with her? Oh, no, no. He was busy sitting on the roof. What roof? The roof of a house floating down the Mississippi River. (laughs) (laughs) Finnegan. Are you sure that you've seen this in the movies? Uh, yeah, why, what? Sounds like one of them plots they write for television. <laughs> oh, I never watch television. You don't? Nah. You never see nothing but newsreels. <laughs> Stop at the mall. Oh, just to browse. 
I hope he gets here before the real estate guy does, and we best laid plans will gang McGee. Hey, wait a minute. Hey, Finnegan. Hey, Finnegan. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look, uh, we got a conspiracy tonight in the tavern that you're liable to louse up, so it presents a problem. Oh, uh, what's the problem? How could we get rid of you? Yeah, that is a problem. <laughs> Let's see now. Well, you could try insulting me. Insulting you? Okay, yeah. Finnegan, you're a moron. Aren't you, what? Well, let's try it again. Finnegan, if brains was chow mein, you couldn't get on the menu at Ruby Foo's. <laughs> try me again, what? <laughs> like, there's no use trying to insult you, Finnegan. You're getting to be as smart as me. That does it, all right? I think it's good. That's good. Now, Fats. Yeah. Fats, when Karloff gets here, let's be sure we treat him right. Now, uh, play a little mood music for him, huh? What will I play? Oh, I don't know. Uh, a tisket, a casket. Uh, <laughs> uh, pretty ghoul is like a melody. Uh, you know, something to make him feel he's among mutual fiends. I mean, friends. <laughs> Go ahead, Fats. Play something. Sure. I don't need sugar, you just have to touch my cup. You my sugar, it's mighty, mighty sweet, and you stir it up. When I'm tasting, we are tasting lips. The honey fairly flips, you confection, goodness, no. Honey supper. Hey, hey, you must be a fried piper. Here comes Boris Karloff now. You're expecting maybe the Bride of Finkelstein? <laughs> hey, Boris, you know, I was surprised when I heard you was in town. Now, when did you get in? Just yesterday. My old friend, Baylor Lugosi, flew me in. Oh. <laughs> 
Well, Lugosi, huh? I didn't know Lugosi had a plane. He hasn't. <laughs> oh. Well, uh, anyway, uh, by the nonce, Boris. Yes? Yeah, you something that puzzles me, you know? How come a guy with a name like Boris speaks English like you do? Something that puzzles me. How come a guy with a name like Archie speaks English like you do? <laughs> well, you ask a ghoulish question, you get a ghoulish answer. <laughs> anyway, how's things, uh, Boris? How does it feel to be in a business where you do nothing but knock people off? That's a fantastic question from the manager of Duffy's Tavern. <laughs> Guess this is no guy to argue with. Better be friendly. Boris, uh, would you care for a drink? Why, thank you. Uh, well, you have. You serve zombies? <laughs> we serve anybody, sure. <laughs> Anything you want, Boris. Uh, name your poison. Now, please, don't let's talk shop. <laughs> okay, as I was saying, it's a great racket you're in, you know. I'd like to play in one of them horror pictures myself sometime. Seems to me you made a picture called The Man with My Face. Well, that's just having to turn out to be a horror picture. <laughs> Tell me, uh, do you find it easy, them parts that you play? No, I find it very exhausting. All that makeup, those heavy costumes. Why, in one picture, they had me weighed down with 40 pounds of lead. How would you like to walk around carrying 40 pounds of lead? He's been rehearsing the part for years. Why, <laughs> that's... Well, uh, drink up, Boris. Uh, here's good luck. Mud in your eye. There is. Oh, my, I must stop sleeping in cemeteries. <laughs> Ruins my looks. Say, Archie. Yeah, uh, yes? Well, <laughs> ain't you going to introduce me? Oh, sure. Uh, Boris, uh, you have a flair for the hideous. <laughs> uh, this is Miss Duffy. Miss Duffy, this is Frankenstein. Likewise, I'm sure. <laughs> you ain't kidding. <laughs> So you're Boris Carla. Yes, and you're Miss Duffy. Yes. Gee, you, you give, give me, me the, the shivers. shivers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, tell me, Mr. Carla, uh, have you ever played a romantic part in a picture? Of course I have. Once I played the part of a lover, Miss Duffy. Didn't you see me in that scene in the haunted house? with the head of that beautiful girl nestling in my lap in the attic? Yes. Why was the rest of her nestling in the basement? <laughs> because Boris likes to concentrate on one thing at a time. a delicate question to ask you, and uh, <laughs> I don't quite know how to put it. Oh, perhaps you can give me a hint. Yes, will you marry me? <laughs> oh, Miss Duffy, you'll be taking an awful chance. Have you ever seen me with my makeup on? Have you ever seen her with her makeup off? <laughs> Now, 
Thomas Duffy, please. Your broomstick, it went that away. See you later. <laughs> Terrible, huh, Boris? Ooh. <laughs> well, Archie, what was the favor you wanted to ask of me? Oh, well, you see, there's a real estate guy coming down here to take over this joint, and we need something to scare him away. Have you tried the free lunch? <laughs> no. No, we need something uh, even obnoxiouser than that, Boris. We need you. <laughs> I want you to make them believe, you see, that the joint is haunted. You know, blood-curdling screams, crunching of bones, clanking of chains, groans from the grave, fiendish tales of torture. I know, I know. Just like the children's programs on television. <laughs> What do you say? Will you do it? Sure, why not? a boy, Boris, you got the right spirit. What's that? I say, you got the right spirit. Booze. <laughs> Look, Boris, will you or will you not haunt the place? Well, if I do, I'll have to have the proper setting. How do you mean? Well, I want the tavern practically in darkness. With just faint streaks of light filtering through grimy windows. I want the eerie whistle of the wind rushing through crevices in the moldy wall. Rats and mice scurrying from corner to corner and overhead. Huge bats flapping their leathery wings as they swoop down past the cobwebs from rafter to rafter. That's what I'll need. That's what you'll need? Yes. <laughs> Take a look around you. That's what you already got. <laughs> Hey, Fats, I'm just thinking, how could we get our doors to squeak, you know, like them creaking doors on the radio? Easy. Just all them up a little. <laughs> we'll do that. We want to get this real estate guy scared to death. Well, don't count too much on it. What do you mean? Anybody thinking of buying this place? Don't scare easy. We shall see. Look, Boris. Yes? Are you sure you can do a good job scaring this real estate guy? Can I do a good job? Me, a man who was known to millions as an arch killer. Say, that gives me an idea. Come here, arch. Now, just a second. <laughs> Boris. Take it easy. According to Emily Post, one does not make a ghost of one's host. <laughs> Mr. Archie. <laughs> Mr. Archie. Huh? A customer just came in. A customer came in? You see, strange things are happening already. <laughs> Wait a minute, Boris. That ain't no customer. Quick, hide in the back room. Uh, well, good evening, sir. Good evening. Do you mind if I examine the premises here? Oh, I... Take it that you are the late real estate man? I beg your pardon? Your name, sir? Oh, Crow is the name. Crow, huh? Yes, sir. S. Crow. S. Crow, huh? <laughs> Tell me, Mr. Crow, what real estate firm do you represent? Here's my card. Let me see here. Closure, 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 and closure. Foreclosures? <laughs> We specialize in them, but uh -huh. I have no time to waste. Now, let's begin with the appraisal. Now, first, how's the roof? The roof? Oh, it's perfect. 
it didn't rain now and then, you'd never know it leaked. <laughs> and how was the cellar? The cellar? Uh, the building inspector went down there just last week. And what was his report? I don't know. He ain't come up yet. <laughs> Anything else you want to know? What about termites? All you want. <laughs> Do you mind if I sweep away some of the sawdust and look at the floor? Mr. Crow, that sawdust is the floor. <laughs> and look, before you go trying to buy this building, don't forget I personally have been here for ten years and i got certain squatters' rights. So what? I intend to squat on them. And don't forget, possession is nine points of the law What's that got to do with it? You think nine is an easy point to make? <laughs> if you do, leave me quote your Clause B subdivision one of the Louisiana Purchase I quote Whenever an imaginary tavern becomes a realty Then the ownership of the mortgage reverts to the quit claim and or tenancy Is that all? No Unquote just a second, young man Are you trying to confuse me? No, Crow, I'm trying to give you a tip Lay off this place Lay off? Why? Why? Because it's haunted Every night at midnight, at the stroke of twelve, a ghost comes out of that back room Wait, here he comes now But it is not midnight Daylight saving time confuses me <laughs> Look at him, coming through the plaster there Balmy Boris, the daffy demon of Duffy's Oh, Boris. Oh, Boris. Boris. This is Mr. Crow. Good evening, Mr. Crow. Here, let me take your hat and throat. <laughs> what a fiend. What larchy, where are your manners? We have a guest. Please remove your head. <laughs> Sorry, Boris. Uh, look, now, tell the gentleman how you became a ghost. Huh? Two hundred years ago, I was foully murdered in this very tavern, which was known in those days as Ye Old Duffy's Inn, at the sign of the Rook and the Schnook. <laughs> Just a second. He's two hundred years old? Why, certainly. The reason he's so healthy is he only eats vegetarians. <laughs> that is for dinner. <clears throat> And what about breakfast? Post ghosties. <laughs> now, do you think your client still wants to buy the place, Mr. Crow, with a ghost living here 200 years? Why not? I think my client would like to have a steady tenant. Hmm. This guy ain't scaring, boss. You let me down. Now, please, put the heat on, will okay, you? Okay, okay. Crow, I've been living down in the cellar with my friends. The spiders, the tarantulas, and the scorpions. You didn't happen to run into a building inspector, did you? <laughs> Don't be such a wise guy, Crow. Boris, I think you're spending too much time in that cellar. It's beginning to make you look pale. Exactly what the doctors tell me. The doctors? Yes, I have a doctor come in daily to give me a special diet. To build a rich red blood. A different doctor each day, of course. <laughs> Did you hear that, Crow? Oh, I wasn't listening. I was making some notes. But, Boris, look at the guy. You ain't even goose pimp on him. Mr. Crow, if your client should become the next owner of this building, I will be forced to have his blood. I'll squeeze it out of him drop 
supply drop. Don't that frighten you, Crow, all this blood squeezing? Don't be silly. I've worked with landlords for years. <laughs> Boris, I'll give you one more chance. Either you scare the guy or you go back to Milton Burl. Oh, no. No, Archie, not that. I'll do anything you say. Okay, okay. Crow, your hour has come. Boris, get that look out of your eye. I want to hear the crunch of bones, the crack of skulls. Boris! The ghastly flowing of blood. Look! It walks. It's not human. And yet, yet in human form. Stop! Let me out of here! Atta boy, Boris, that did it. I know I could count on you. Wait a minute. Look, it walks. It's not human, and, and yet it's in human form. Stop! Get me out of here! Hey, hey, what's going on here? Uh, hello. Stay tuned for Johnny Dollar next on Theater of the Mind. And now Edmund O'Brien as Johnny Dollar here on Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio. From Hollywood, it's time now for Edmund O'Brien as... Johnny Dollar. We're ready on your call to Boston. Go ahead, please. Hello? Yes? Mr. Semplin, this is Johnny Dollar. Johnny Dollar? I believe I remember you, Mr. Dollar. Well, we've never met. Your company hired me here in Hartford to investigate the Joan Sebastian death. Oh? It's odd that they didn't advise me. Well, they probably will. I called you to find out the name of the officer in charge of the case, if I could. It's uh, Lieutenant De Rosa. De Rosa. Do you happen to know what their theory is, if any? Theory? I don't think they've arrived at a definite theory. Still a toss-up between murder and suicide, huh? Okay, Mr. Samplin. I'll be in touch. <laughs> Edmund O'Brien in a transcribed adventure of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Home Office, Corinthian Life Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Joan Sebastian matter. Expense account item one, 175 phone call to Boston, advising your manager there of my assignment. Item two, $28 car rental and mileage from my Hartford apartment to police headquarters, Boston. What's the matter, Dollar? Don't you trust us? Well, it's not up to me to mistrust you, Lieutenant. These insurance people get uneasy when there's a choice between suicide and murder. Unless the murder motive is the policy. And you don't think there's a chance of that? I wouldn't say definitely not, but the Sebastian girl made her mother her beneficiary. And her mother's an invalid in a rest home. Did, uh, did you know the mother has taken up with an old flame? 
No, I didn't. Oh, yeah. Goes to see her a couple of three times a week. Crazier things have happened. I'll uh, get the file for you. Sit down. Now, uh, this is all we've got so far, pending the coroner's inquest and the autopsy report. Here's a photo of where she was found. Ah, shallow water. That's the bridge? Uh-huh. Uh, she was lying right about there. But I don't think you have to worry about suicide, Dollar. As far as I'm concerned, it wasn't. Hmm. I'll buy that, too. I wouldn't say this bridge is a suicide type. It's too low. Yeah, yeah. And there's another thing. I've been on the force for more years than I like to count, and I've run into my share of suicides. But I've never known a woman to do it that way without taking off her coat. Oh? Yeah, usually shoes, too. I've learned that's part of a generally accepted pattern. The Sebastian girl didn't fit the pattern, huh? Yeah, here's, uh, here's the way she looked. Coat on, belt still tied. Shoes. Her purse is still missing. We're searching the stream for it. How old was she? 21. She was a beautiful girl. Yeah, I noticed that. I try not to, but with her, I couldn't help it. How much questioning have you done, Lieutenant? Oh, not as much as we'll do after the inquest. When'll that be? Day after tomorrow. Do you want anything more here? No, thanks. I'll, uh, I'll give you the background we have on her. It's in my office. I won't bother anymore, Lieutenant DeRosa. Besides, I like to dig up backgrounds myself. I know them better if I do. Thanks a lot for your cooperation. I drove out to the stream where they'd found the girl's body, and there chalked up another point against her death being a suicide. The bridge from which he had dropped was a good four miles from town. On the assumption that she'd been brought there in a car, the placement of a body in regard to the two lanes on the bridge made it look as if the car was going toward Boston, not away from it. Five minutes later, I was heading the same way. Mary O'Neill? Yes. The manager suggested I come up. He told me you shared this apartment with Joan Sebastian. That's right. Who are you? My name is Dollar. I'm from her insurance company. I'd like to talk to you about her if I could. Well, I suppose so, but there's nothing I can do now. This is the biggest shock I've ever had. Now, he said there'd be trouble. But I, I, I never thought she'd do anything like this. Maybe she didn't. What's that supposed to mean? Well, there are signs that say maybe she didn't commit suicide. There are? Do you think she had any reason to? Well, that's what I said. I never thought she would. Sit down. Any place. Thanks. Poor little Joan. What does it mean? I'm not sure. Did you say you expected trouble? Oh, yeah. I kept telling her. It was the way she went, like she couldn't live fast enough. Like, like there wasn't time to get everything done. It's been like that ever since she got rid... I mean, her mother went into that hospital. Joni was all tied down taking care of her before. What could have caused the trouble? Well, I, I'm not saying she was wrong or anything, but... Well, there were too many men. I imagine that was easy for her. Sure was. Too easy. Do you mind telling me who they were? Well, I, I don't know. Only, only about one. Harold Corey. He's gone with it the longest... Harold Corey. Yes, he drives for the North American van lines. Sometimes he goes way out to the West Coast. And well, while he was gone, Joni didn't stay home and catch up on a reading. You know what I mean? I think I do. 
Went out with a different guy almost every night. I didn't pry, but she she never tell me who they were. You think somebody killed her, don't you? Would you help me try to find out? What could I do? You didn't want to pry, but I get paid to. I'd like to look at her things. Well, I suppose it's my duty, sort of, isn't it? In a way, yeah. But I can't force you to. Oh, I, I know it's a thing to do. Oh, the drawers are locked, but I'll, I'll show you what I can. I started on the locked dresser drawers. They gave up and opened after a brief struggle, but contained on the whole things that might normally be locked up because of their value. Imported perfumes, expensive lingerie, and some jewelry. The only thing that looked as if it might have been hidden for the sake of secrecy was under the jewel box. It was a gold key, a functional house-type key, but with meaning added because the head of the key was heart-shaped. It hung from a fine gold chain. I never saw that before. Never saw the perfume before either, but I smelled it. That's a few hundred dollars worth of scent. And the rest of it was, uh... Was Joan used to such expensive things? Well, not that I know about. Harold Corey sure couldn't shell out that kind of money. Heart-shaped key. It's cozy. I'd like to keep it if I could. Oh, I don't know about that. After all, it isn't mine. I might get into trouble. You won't, I promise you. I'm working with the police on this thing. I want to find out where it was made if I can and who ordered it. Oh, I get it. Sure, I, I wouldn't stop you from doing that. Even if I could. North American Van Lines. I wonder if I could get some information about a driver of yours, Harold Corey. I phoned his home and couldn't get him. Is he out of town? Uh, just a second. Uh, yeah, Harold Corey's on a run to Philadelphia. Oh? When's he due back? He's uh, doing tonight about... Uh... Or about 3 a.m. tomorrow morning. Thanks very much. Expense account item three, seven dollars, drinks and dinner after I checked into the Bristol Hotel. Item four, a nickel. Phone call to Joan Sebastian's employer. Edward Hollis was at home and would see me. living room, Mr. Dollar. May as well be comfortable. It's nice of you to see me, Mr. Hollis. I thought it'd be better to do it this way rather than bother you at work. Of course, and I appreciate it. The atmosphere at the office has been gloomy enough. Oh, uh, this is Mrs. Hollis, Mr. Dollar. Oh, how do you do? Quite well, thank you. I didn't know the poor girl, but it's a dreadful thing. Yes, I'm afraid it is. They don't understand. Young girl like that with everything to live for. Well, it, it may be even worse than that. Worse? How could it be worse? It looks more and more like her death was not a suicide. Oh. Mr. Dollar. I didn't mention it on the phone. The, the police think it was murder, though. And so do I. I thought it'd be better to save the blow until I got out here. You know, murder's pretty messy. This is a shock. I I suppose I could be dragged into a courtroom along with everybody else who knew her. Edward. Uh, Beatrice, uh, you run along upstairs. There's no reason for your going through this. All right, Edward. I think I'd rather... Good night, Mr. Dollar. Good night. I'm sorry, but it couldn't be helped. Of course it couldn't. I'll make this as fast as possible, Mr. Hollis. I don't know how much you knew about Joan Sebastian's private life. I knew nothing. 
I have a number of girls in the office. It's been my philosophy to remember that not too long ago, I was as young as they are. As long as they do their work well, I ask no questions. As a matter of fact, I have no right to. Sure. From what I've gathered, she was mixed up emotionally. She hadn't had much freedom because of an invalid mother she took care of. Oh, I did know that. When her mother went to a hospital, Joan began to make up for lost time. She led her friends to believe that she ran around with a lot of men. But I don't believe that. Oh? I think it was one man. Would you give me the names of the girls she worked with? I'd like to talk to them and find out if something may have come out over lunch or cocktail. Yes, I'd rather my staff wasn't upset too much, but uh, I'll tell you. You'll want to question them separately? That's right. Well, I could give you the names now, but uh, if you'll phone me at the office in the morning, I'll give you their addresses and phone numbers. That would help. Uh, good. You can call any time after 9.30. I called the next morning and got a list of six feminine names, which I pocketed for later reference. And at 10.30, I was at the home of Harold Corey, a ground-floor apartment on Hemingway Street. Yeah, who is it? My name is Dollar. Come later, will you? I don't want to talk to anybody right now. I'm an insurance investigator. I want to talk to you about Joan Sebastian. Who have you talked to? Why did she do it? She didn't. What do you mean? It's a mistake? In a way, yeah. It's murder. Murder? You're crazy. Am I? Oh, maybe you are. She'd never kill herself, would she? She had no reason to. When did you see her last? Night before I left for Philadelphia. When was that? Two nights ago, Tuesday. Left at five Wednesday morning. She was found Wednesday morning. What are you driving at, mister? When did you learn that she was seeing somebody else when you were out of town? Didn't know she was. Look, Corey, I'm not tossing suspicions around to see how they bounce off you. You're in a bad way, do you know that? You're telling me you think I killed her? Me? I loved her. I wanted to marry her. That's a motive, not an alibi. Get out of here, will you? Leave me alone. You aren't helping yourself with this act. You're making it worse. Get out of here before I do have a murder to answer for. Get out. Get out! This is Dollar, Lieutenant. Hey, I've been kicking myself for not getting your hotel yesterday. Well, I didn't have one then, but I got a few things to pass along to you now. Well, if it's the Sebastian thing, save him. What do you mean? It's suicide after all. How come? Autopsy report. There was concussion from that drop from the bridge, but that wasn't the cause of death. Now, wait a minute. Cause of death was from carbon monoxide. It looks like she pulled the suicide where it would embarrass somebody, and they tossed her in the creek to get her out of the way. Hello? You still there, Dollar? Yeah, I'm still here. This is where I came in. We'll return you to the second act of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in just a moment. But first, one of radio's greatest stars has returned to CBS The Star's Address. He's Frank Sinatra. Frank will be here every Sunday afternoon for a full hour of songs, comedy, and commentary on popular music. The Frank Sinatra Show is a part of CBS's new lineup of entertainment on Sunday afternoons. Join CBS every Sunday afternoon, won't you? Now, with our star, Edmund O'Brien, we return you to the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. (laughs) 
desk sergeant said you were waiting for me. Oh, yeah, yeah. I told him you'd be showing up. Sit down, darling. You didn't seem to like the latest development. Well, I've been working from other directions. Give it to me again, will you? Well, here's the autopsy report. Death by asphyxia caused by carbon monoxide, agent unknown. Probably automobile engine exhaust. That's the most popular these days. Do you believe this, Lieutenant? I believe what's on the report. And how did you say she got into the river? I said maybe she committed suicide somewhere so that somebody would get involved. Maybe in the driveway of somebody who didn't want to get involved. To get rid of her, she was probably moved to the stream. What's the matter? Don't you like that? What else does the report say? Oh, symptoms of severe concussion. I thought you'd be happy with this suicide evidence. The insurance company hired me to dig up facts. If it was suicide, all right. But if it wasn't, they want to know that, too. And I don't think it was. Why not? Well, from what I've learned, she wasn't the type. She liked to be alive, and she played it hard enough to leave some motives lying around. Jealousy, for one. That boyfriend of hers? Ah, you know about him, then. Yeah, Corey, isn't it? A truck driver? That's right. And then there's this. Look. What's this unlock? I wish I could tell you. It was given to her by somebody. I'd like to know who. Would you put a couple of men on it, find out where it was made? I could do it, but I think the police can get it done faster. All right, Dollar, I'll stick my neck out that far. I'm under orders, you know that. I have to be assigned before I can investigate. Yeah, sure. But I'll take your story upstairs and see what the chief says. Let me know what else you find. I will. Uh, Say, do you have the address of the old flame you mentioned? The mother's friend? (laughs) Still like to settle for fraud, would you? (laughs) The dress sergeant will give you his address. His name's Paul Anderson. You, Mr. Anderson? I am. I'm from Joan Sebastian's insurance company. One of you'd spare me a few moments. Why, yes, I suppose so. Come in. I didn't know she had a policy. She did. $25,000 to go to her mother. I see. Her death has been classed as a suicide, which voids the policy. The two-year self-destruction clause is still in effect. That's a pity. Why'd you say that? It's the least she could do for poor Mildred. That's her mother? Yes, an extremely young mother. Who's almost ruined her life for that girl. I didn't know that. Daughter was born when Mildred was only 17. She was left to care for the child herself. I helped as much as I could. How well did you know the girl after she grew up? Why, she's a friend of her mother's. Why do you ask? Which one did you know first? I don't see what this has to do with the you matter. You don't have to answer. I don't want you to misunderstand. Nothing to be hidden. I suppose it is unusual. I did meet Joan first. But when she took me to her house and I met her mother, I realized that Joan was, well, no more than a cheap little opportunist. The complete opposite from her mother. As I say, I suppose it is unusual. That doesn't make any difference. Point is that you dropped the girl in favor of her mother. Is that it? It wasn't the gross situation you evidently wish it had been. I realized Mildred's condition and the lack of care. I knew she needed someone, and I, I did what I could for her. Did you send her to the rest home? I did. Now, look here. This has gone far enough. You asked me these questions for one reason, so that you can make your own conclusions, haven't you? I didn't know it, Joe. It does. I think I sent Mildred to the home to get her out of the way, don't you? That is not the case. You can think what you like. Go ask Mildred if you care to. I won't bother her. Do you know anything about a gold key that Joan had? Gold key? No, I don't know anything about a gold key. I've known very little about Joan all these past months. 
I could have told you that she was headed toward a bad end a long time ago. Now she's reached it. No one to blame but herself. It was 4 p.m. then, and at 5, I was standing in front of the North American Band Building on Columbus Avenue as Harold Corey backed a big rig into a parking area and headed for a quick-order restaurant. Hello, Corey. What this time? Dispatcher tells me you're going out in another run. Pretty short layover, isn't it? That's right, I asked for it. Figured driving, I'd get my mind off this thing. What do you want? Do you know how she died? I read about it. Carbon monoxide. Do you still think it couldn't have been suicide? She's dead. That's as far as I can think. You knew about Paul Anderson, didn't you? What about Paul? That he might have been more interested in Joan than he was in her mother? I suppose you're just doing a job, aren't you? What you say is true. I didn't know about it. If I had known about it, I would have gone after him, not Joan. I can't take any more, mister. Look, I don't enjoy it either, Corey. Like you say, I'm just doing a job. After questioning the six girls who had worked with Joan Sebastian, I was still nowhere. None of them knew anything about a private life. The next morning, the police located a goldsmith who said he remembered making the key. The police told me you might come in, Mr. Dada. No trouble at all. We're <laughs> happy to oblige. Good. You've seen the key? Yes, the officer showed it to me. Oh, friendly young man. I have it with me. You're sure you made it? Oh, yes, positive. See here? I'll admit to a quaint conceit. You see here? Puddled scroll? See the letters? Well, yeah, see <laughs> My initials, Cedric Foss. Mm. And I haven't the faintest recollection who I made it for. I told that young officer that, too. I don't even remember when. Oh, there's so much work. You know. Well, maybe I can help you. It would have been between seven and eight months ago. You keep any kind of records? Oh, of course I do. I'm bound to. A matter of law. Seven or eight months should have... Uh, let me see. That would be uh, November, October... Seven would be March. Uh, eight would be February. Oh, yes, yes. Here we are. Here we are. Uh, oh, frankly, I'm intrigued. How many of my items may have been involved with tragedy? Who knows? Perhaps I'm a curse. <laughs> I was hoping you'd be a cure for this one. Well, I hope so. You wouldn't know what week or day. Oh, I'm afraid not. Uh, 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 oh, my. Oh, my. February wasn't a very good month, was it? Post-holiday slump. Reset, change of inside, set opals. Oh, dreadful stuff. Uh, oh. Hmm? What? No, 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 no. That's much too small. Key for a jewel box. Well, let me see, let me see. Ah, uh, ah, March. Yes, engraved spoon. Reset, reset, repair, brace. Ah. Ah, here it is. Door key in gold, March 17th. What name? <laughs> Do not deliver. We'll call J.E. Carter. J.E. Carter. Does that help? No, no, not a bit. Do you remember anything about him? No, paid in cash. Uh, oh, wait, now, that was the day Mrs. Brand brought the baby shoe in for placing. She's the councilman's wife. I remember that. It was snowing. That was the day it was ordered, Yes, huh? now, wait a minute, wait a minute. It was modeled from a plain old cast house key. Uh-huh. I cannot picture him. But I'd done some apartment keys, and he said this was for a cottage. Outside of town? It was a surprise for his wife, someplace on the bay. 
I remember that because of the hideous weather, and I could just feel that wind coming through one of those summer cottages. Now, do you think you'd recognize him if you saw him again? Yeah, I can't say until I do. Uh, I could try. Mm. Well, we may have to call on you then. Thanks. Thanks a lot. I think you've helped. <laughs> How'd you make out with that fussy little man, Dollar? We found the day the key was ordered, and he remembered a few things because a councilman's wife came in the same day. Why? Well, the customer, Carter was the name he used, mentioned a cottage on the bay. Now, that's east, and the girl's body was found northwest of here. I think she was dumped from a car coming toward Boston from out there. So I think the cottage is in that direction. <laughs> Deduction yet. Look, if I were going to dump a body, I wouldn't carry it across two traffic lanes, would you? I'm being paid to think about another case. I couldn't sell the murder pitch upstairs. But I tried, and I'll buck for a promotion if you're right and upstairs is wrong. I don't suppose you could earn that promotion by assigning some men to cover that section. Huh? Oh, not a chance. That's county. Division of responsibility. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I, for one, wouldn't be surprised to know how many people have died because of that division of responsibility. <laughs> Expense account item four, $35 mileage covering a two-and-a-half-day search of real estate offices northwest of Boston. Object, a cottage rented a few days before March 17th by a man possibly using the name J.E. Carter. It was morning tonight legwork, but on the afternoon of the third day, it paid off. I found an agent who had rented a cottage to a J.E. Carter. She took me out, but before we went into the place, I noticed a lean-to garage marked up by plenty of tire tracks. Inside, I found a stained rug, among other things. Well, Mr. Dollar, I've always said I personally vouch for the people I do business with. Uh, you never know, do you? I say you don't. You want to go now? I think I've seen enough. Let me lock it. I want to see if this key fits. It does fit. Yeah, it sure does. Oh, Mr. Dunn. Hello, Mr. Hollis. May I come in? Why, yes, yes, of course. Come in. Well, I didn't expect you to come back. Didn't you, Mr. Hollis? You thought you'd get away with this, huh? What did you say? Well, now, there's no reason to be clever with each other, Mr. Hollis. I know you killed her. You rented a cottage out beyond Mystic River. You used the name J.E. Carter when you bought the gold key. I did that? I'm afraid you did. Come into the other room. Yes, you're right, I did. I became infatuated with her. If you'd known her, you'd understand. I I realized last week that it had to stop, and I told her. She uh, had been going with that young Corey boy. I told her that even if I was single and eligible to marry, I would advise her to hang on to him, someone her own age. That was last Tuesday night? Yes. She left the cottage, and I heard her drive off. Or at least I thought I did. When I went out, I... I learned what she had really done. She committed suicide in the car. 
You can hardly blame me for wanting to keep the secret. Well, you've been reading the papers, Mr. Hollis, suicide and all that. I've been inside your cottage. You didn't do a very good job of cleaning up the bloodstains. You're right, Mr. Dullum. There seems to be no longer any reason to attempt cleverness. I'll make my statement to the police. I'll drive you down. Thank you. How did you find out, Dollar? There was a Wall Street Journal there, addressed to you. Oh, I see. Edward? Now, Beatrice, go upstairs. No, Edward, I won't. I insist, Beatrice. What good would it do? Do what I've done because I lost you? Why should you ask me to go upstairs while I lose you again? I forbid you to say another word. Forbid, Edward. You have no right. I found them, Mr. Dollar. It took a long time, but I found them. She had taken him from me because she was beautiful. And I no longer am. I was waiting in the cottage. And when they came in, I struck her. Is this true, Mrs. Hollis? I killed her. Since there was nothing left, we carried her to the cop. <laughs> Beatrice. Beatrice, what have I done? What have I done? <laughs> Expense account item five, $110, final bill for car rental. Item six, $85 miscellaneous. Expense account total, $356.75. Remarks? I don't know what sticklers the Massachusetts law courts are, but Joan Sebastian was not killed by the wronged wife. She was unconscious but alive when Hollis put her in his car trunk. She died there by carbon monoxide. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, stars Edmund O'Brien in the title role and is written by Gil Dowd with music by Wilbur Hatch. Edmund O'Brien may soon be seen in the Paramount Pictures production, Warpath. Featured in tonight's cast were Virginia Gregg, Howard McNear, Virginia Eiler, Wally Mayer, John Stevenson, Bill Johnstone, and Raymond Burr. Yours truly, Johnny Dollars, transcribed in Hollywood by Jaime Del Valle. This is Dan Coverly inviting you to join us next week at this time when we will again bring you Edmund O'Brien as... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Stay tuned for Von Monroe's Caravan, which follows immediately over most of these same CBS stations. This is CBS, where Hopalong Cassidy rides every Saturday night, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Hey, thanks for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy, followed by Mr. District Attorney. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support and executive producer Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.